from San Francisco, California, with your host, Ben Kaspik. This is Locked On Giants Baseball. Welcome back to Locked On Giants Baseball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and I'm thrilled to be with you again today. On this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, approximately 15 minutes in length, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also insightful and easily digestible, easy for everyone to understand. To get this show every day, you need to hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. You can find us on the brand new podcast app Himalaya or Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. When you're driving to work, from work, or around town, all you have to do is tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Giants Baseball and we'll be right there with you for the drive. If your company wants to reach an upscale male audience, then your company's ad should be running right here on this podcast. To get your company connected with this audience, email locked at lockedonpodcasts.com to get more details about increasing your business. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about yet another win for the Giants, yet another game in which they scored more than 10 runs, a sweep, a four-game sweep of the Colorado Rockies in Denver for the first time since 2011. We'll talk all about the game, the ramifications, preview the upcoming series against the Mets, why it's actually become a, a big series and a big homestand with the trading deadline very fast approaching. We're also going to answer a interesting question that was posed about psychology versus just raw numbers. So a lot to get into on the show, and we'll just start right now. Giants won 11-8. Rocky scored three in the ninth off of Andy Suarez, which kind of artificially made the game a little closer than it was. But that being said, with the win, the Giants improved to 47-49. and They're in third place in the National League West. They've leapfrogged the Padres and the Rockies here in the last couple of days. They're still 16 games back in the West, but they're just two and a half games out of a wild card spot. They've won five in a row. Their run differential improved to minus 38, which is just incredible given that it was up around minus 100 not even a month ago. They're 27 and 23 on the road. There are only two teams in the National League with better road winning percentages than the Giants, and that's the Dodgers and the Braves. Worth noting that their run differential of minus 38 has an expected win-loss record of 44 and 52, so they're still outperforming that by three wins. But, I mean, what else can you say? The Giants right now are totally firing on all cylinders. The offense stayed locked in yesterday, even with a bunch of starters on the bench. And so this is one area that the Giants have looked so different this year and specifically recently once a bunch of these acquisitions were made where their bench is not just guys who are people you would not want in the starting lineup. Uh, traditionally in baseball and specifically with the Giants, even as recently as last season, their bench has been made up of players who are not good enough to be starters. And that's kind of how it was done for a long time. That's how teams constructed their rosters. You would hope that you didn't have to go to your bench for any kind of extended period of time. But now... The way the Dodgers have been doing it for years, and then good teams other than the Dodgers have been catching on and doing it for years. And I say the Dodgers just because Farhan Zaidi had his fingerprints obviously all over that roster, and now we're seeing that emulated here with the Giants. But the way the bench functions now is that there are plenty of guys who have really good strengths in certain key areas, and they're only getting played when they're able to, to take advantage of those strengths. 
And specifically, it's essentially just platoons. So on a day like yesterday, the Giants are able to plug in Steven Vogt, and he just hits cleanup for you because he does well against right-handed pitching. There's a righty on the mound, and Buster Posey needs a day, or they want to give him a day off. They also plugged in Donovan Solano for Brandon Crawford, and yes, Solano mostly has played against lefties, but pretty much no matter who he's facing right now, Solano has been on a total tear, and he went four for five yesterday, hit a big home run, came a triple away from the cycle, and then hit a, his second double late in the game when he, he was just a triple away. They also stayed away from their big bullpen arms in Smith, Dyson, and Watson, and ended up getting quality innings from Derek Holland, Reyes Maranta. Mark Melanson shut the door. Andy Suarez pitched decently in the eighth inning, but then kind of coughed it up a little bit in the ninth when the game was out of hand. So the Giants offense just is on fire right now. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find another team that is hitting as well as the Giants. And in fact, since June 21st, which is the date we continue to refer to as Dickerson Day, the day Alex Dickerson made his debut, the Giants do in fact lead all of the National League in Fangraph's wins above replacement at 5.4, and this is position players, not, not including pitchers. Hitting 292 with a 354 on base and 525 slugging. They've been 27% above average by weighted runs created plus, which is park adjusted and weights all of the different offensive outcomes properly. And that's by far the best in the National League. The next closest team is the Pirates, about 10% worse than the Giants. So yes, they're helped out by playing in Coors Field for the last four games, but it's not like they did well there the last couple of years. This is a place they won like two games combined the last two years, and they just go in and sweep a four-game series this week. We're going to talk a little bit in the second half about an interesting question that was posed about the you know psychology of an Alex Dickerson arrival, Alex Dickerson doing well, and if that can have an effect on other people on the team, and is that why certain other players are suddenly doing well when they were struggling so much early? But for now, I want to just talk about where this puts the Giants. They've lost just two games in July. They're 11-2 and two in the month. They're 25-15 and 15 since June 1st, which puts them up there among the top teams in baseball over that stretch. Just playing so well right now, and then this becomes a big homestand because... You know, speaking of the standings, which we talked about earlier, the Giants do in fact find themselves just two and a half games out of a wild card spot. And we talked so much early in the week, even about how there were so many teams in front of them, so it was going to be hard to gain some separation. But they've leapfrogged so many teams now; they're past the Marlins, Reds, Mets, Pirates, Rockies, and Padres, and they're within striking distance of three other teams. They're just two games back of three different teams here before, you know, Milwaukee holds that second spot. But one of those teams who is in contention for that wildcard spot as well, but fallen further behind the Giants here lately is the New York Mets, who come into town for this four-game series at Oracle Park. So the Mets are playing well themselves. They've won four games in a row after really slipping and falling to a point where even their general manager, Brody Van Wagenen, was essentially he felt the need to like apologize to the fans about the way the season had gone that was super recently and to them their season is on the line right here so you're gonna see the Mets in desperation mode because if they can't do well in this series then they're definitely gonna probably turn into sellers so they're playing for their season right now and so if the Giants can do well against the Mets 
they can put them out of the conversation and continue to climb up the standings themselves, potentially. And then the Giants take on the Cubs for three games at home. And the Cubs are currently in first place and a good team, but they really haven't played well on the road. They're 18 and 27 on the road. I don't know if I read into that too much. It is something I wouldn't really expect to continue. But the point is that this is going to be a real test for the Giants. So coming up in the second half of the show, we'll continue to talk about where the Giants stand, just two games under 500, a chance to really make things interesting here ahead of the trading deadline. And we'll also discuss that question about psychology versus just raw data and whether psychology really can play a role in making players play better. So that's all coming up next. All right, as promised, we'll continue to talk about the red-hot San Francisco Giants, their place in the standings, and what this means for them as buyers versus sellers, and addressing the question of psychology and whether you know new players like Dickerson emerging and providing a boost can really actually help other players who are struggling. So before we go much further, I do want to mention that the Giants have not played particularly well against teams that are above 500. They haven't had a ton or any games against the Cubs, Braves, Nationals, Phillies. So they have yet to really face, besides the Dodgers, the cream of the crop in the National League. And so, again, that's why this Cubs series specifically is going to be a big test for the Giants. And then after that, on their next road trip, they do go to Philadelphia as well. And then at home, after that, they play the Nationals and the Phillies. They go to Chicago, and they still have to go to St. Louis, L.A., Boston, and Atlanta. That's all in September. So the schedule is going to be a little more tough here. I still do think they're very much, they very much have an outside chance as opposed to an inside track of making the postseason. And the point that we made yesterday and will continue to make is that they're not going to buy in the sense that they would sacrifice some kind of future value just for present value. If they're going to buy anything, they're going to buy pieces that can be helpful in the present and in the future. And I do think it's very possible they could sell while buying. They could sell short-term assets and buy longer-term assets that can help them more or less immediately. I saw someone mention Franklin Barreto of the A's, and I think that that type of deal might make sense. A guy like Barreto is blocked at the major league level currently, but could be plugged into a lineup right now on a team like the Giants. And so I don't know if this is actually a realistic trade scenario but like if the Giants were to trade someone like Madison Bumgarner to the A's in exchange for Franklin Barreto I think that's an example of you're selling your short-term asset and you're buying a longer-term asset who's currently blocked and you know an extra piece on his respective team so if I had to guess that would be where they would go I do think they're not going to just waste this opportunity to sell some prime assets on the market here in Bumgarner and Smith specifically I also think Dyson very much could be a guy that gets traded because the Giants do have some tremendous depth in the bullpen, not only at the major league level, but also in the minor leagues in the form of Fernando Abad and Sam Selman, who are just doing very well and are drawing trade interest in their own right. But anyway, I do want to talk about this question of psychology with the Giants. So the question was posed. I'll just kind of read some bits and pieces of it. You've noted the material change in the Giants since Dickerson arrived and attributed it to platooning and improved outfield. I wonder what you think about the psychological effect on the previously underperforming members of the team. Are there data that show effect of team success or lack thereof on performance? Can a sudden material change in team circumstances, positive or negative, change team and individual psychology and performance? Otherwise, how do you explain so many players 
playing much better? So there's a lot packed into that question, and I could spend a whole episode trying to answer it, but I'll try to do it in a lesser amount of time. But the short answer is that I tend to downplay the effect that that would have on other people's performance. And the reason I would do so is just out of a pure scientific response, being that I have a tendency not to just believe something's true because it makes a good story. It certainly seems like something like that could be possible, but at the same time, it also seems like, you know, given that example of other players playing better once someone like Dickerson arrives, you know, who are we talking about? Is it Pilar, Posey, Crawford, etc.? So, I mean, yes, and, and Longoria, I guess, would fill into that, would fall into that category as well. But if you then look at someone like Brandon Crawford, Yes, he's been much better lately, specifically in July. I don't have the numbers pulled up, but he's, you know, the series in Colorado, he went off. So I'm assuming he has really good numbers in July. And perhaps even since Dickerson arrived June 21st, they're all doing so well. So certainly plenty of guys have good numbers since then. But on the season, Crawford by weighted runs created plus has still been about 15% below average offensively. That's exactly where he was in 2017. And it's worse than where he was in 2018 when he was like 7% below average offensively. So while it's convenient to say that Dickerson's arrival could have psychologically done something to someone like Crawford and that that could be why he's playing better, I would just be cautious to believe that because, first of all, we saw this same thing with Crawford last year where he had an extremely slow start and then went on an unbelievable tear in, I think, June or May, one of those two months, just went off and played so well that he earned his way into the, as the starting shortstop in the All-Star game, I believe. So he's done this before. And, you know, someone like Posey and Pilar is kind of the same story. They're playing better right now, but at the same time, their season numbers are below expectations. And so it's not surprising that they're playing better. They were playing so much below expectations that, you know, some way or another, I would have expected them to get to more or less their not necessarily their career numbers, but where their projections were coming into the season. So someone like Pilar is just kind of consistently about 15% below average offensively. And right now he's 25% below average offensively. So he was so much lower than that, that I would have expected, it's not that you expect when someone goes so low, you don't expect them to go so high necessarily, but you do expect they're going to find a way to get to that preseason predicted number. And in the case of Posey, he's still been below average offensively on the season, which would be the first time in his entire career that he's been a below average offensive player. So I, I just have, I just am like not wanting to say, okay, yeah, Dickerson showed up and therefore everybody just felt good and that made them play better. I don't see any strong evidence for that. I'm not opposed to, to discovering some evidence that proves that or highly suggests that that's happening. There's no doubt to me that morale is a is a real thing, you know. There's no doubt that there was a lot of negativity surrounding this team early on and frustration and anger, disappointment, and that lately all of that has turned into optimism and carefree attitude and having fun. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if all of that played a role in performance. I think we can all relate in life in general, when you're feeling frustrated, tasks are more difficult versus when you're feeling free and easy. But at the same time, if you're a professional athlete, sometimes you're feeling free and easy, regardless of whether the team is playing well or not. We've seen plenty of guys be unbelievably talented on bad teams, 
Like Mike Trout is is the best player in baseball year after year, and the Angels aren't usually very good. And we've also seen great players do poorly on on great teams for extended periods of time. I do think from a fan's perspective, I do think the fans have a tendency to lay off and stop focusing on some guys not doing well when other players are doing well. It takes pressure off of them in terms of how people are reacting to their struggles. Someone like Joe Panic, this is another point that I meant to make in regards to the question. He's not doing well. He's doing very poorly and having a bad season. But I have two responses to that. One, we're not talking about it because it's not mattering right now. The team is playing so well around him that it's not an area of focus in our analysis. But at the same time, Dickerson's so-called positive psychological contributions to the team seem to have gone over Panic's head. So that's another reason why I just tend to not think that that's as big of a factor as some people want to make it out to be. Because it's hard to say why it would affect some people but not others without just saying, okay, well, it's just a random effect or it, it, there's, no, there's no correlation at all. But who knows? Again, I'm open to any kind of evidence that that's true, but I'm not going to speculate and just say that it's true without having any kind of evidence to support it. So anyway, like I said, big series. There's no doubt the team is, is a more happy and unified group right now. That, there's no doubt in my mind that winning makes them happier and that being relaxed and being, you know, having fun definitely can have an impact. I'm not arguing with that at all. But so right now, yeah, I mean, everybody's having fun, maybe not Joe Panic, but most guys are having fun and the performance on the field is fun to watch. They're playing exciting, relevant baseball. I think it's going to be a fun homestand. I really do think you could see some electricity in the crowd tonight uh, for the first time in a while. So if you get a chance Tune in tonight. Go to the game if you're able. Uh, it should be a lot of fun with Madison Bumgarner on the mound versus Noah Syndergaard. It's a tremendous matchup. So we'll be back with another episode tomorrow talking about tonight's game against the Mets. To get this show every day, you need to hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. You can find us on the brand new podcast app Himalaya or Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. On the show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, approximately 15 minutes in length, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also insightful and easily digestible, easy for everyone to understand. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspic. You can follow me on Twitter, at Cove underscore cast. If you like this show, please consider rating it, leaving a review, and telling your friends and family to check us out. I cannot wait to be with you again tomorrow, and until then, we'll see you next time. 